We are in the book of Colossians. Paul wrote Colossians from prison. He wrote it to the church at Colossae, and he wrote it for a reason, because there's this young church. It's dynamic. It's one of the earlier letters. It's not too far after Christ had left, so not that many years had passed, and they'd come to know Jesus Christ. They'd been part of some of the dispersion, and their faith had been tested, but they had been found in Jesus Christ. But now they are being hit with false teachers and the false doctrines that are saying to them, basically, Christ and Right, Christ is good, but what can we add to it? It was Gnostic teachings that were going on. It was the idea of we've got it started, we were in the right place, but we need to add a little bit, right? And they were getting hit with things like asceticism and legalism and mysticism, you know, and some of these things like the asceticism is kind of the extreme separation, the extreme separation from the world or others or extreme separation from its facts and patterns, There is legalism, right? It's more the extreme separation from things that are in putting the form of the law above the substance of it. And then the idea of mysticism was always there, right? It's something ethereal and feeling, and we add these things. And when we add these things, we have something better, right? That's what the church at Colossae was looking at. Christ's good. Now we got to mature and we got to grow. So Paul, kind of stuck in prison, he says... Man, I wish I was there. I wish I was there because they have Jesus. They know Jesus, but they're getting beaten around by people. So he writes the letter and he puts it in the form. And the thing that we need to understand today is that this is still happening today, right? And it, it, it is a, a world's thinking and the world, right? The prince of this earth right now is Satan still has a reign because God has allowed it. It is the thinking that is natural to the world. And when Satan loses a battle of salvation for a soul, right? He doesn't fit, quit fighting. He fights to minimize it then. In fact, he can keep an immaturity. So he twists it to fine. You want to believe in Christ? Let's go Christ and let's focus on the and, the other. Christ's little, big other stuff. And basically, one of the biggest things he comes with is religion in the form of things, doing things in a certain way. And this is what Apostle Paul was talking to the church at Colossae, and we're fighting it, and we are fighting it today. And one of the amazing things, if you think it through, it's amazing that any religion actually prospers, right? Because it's difficult. I mean, if you actually look at what the world's religions ask of you, you're like, it's exhausting. <laughs> like it's, but there is a feeling that maybe there's something here. And there's, if I work harder, if I do more, I can be worthy. God will notice me and others can be impressed. Just a little bit more and I will have God's attention and I can be worthy. It's a false teaching. It was what the early church was struggling with. And it's what I think we struggle with a lot today. So if we're going to look into this, We're going to look into Colossians chapter 2. We're going to unpack it three ways in three aspects. Our salvation is, number one, in full, number two, by faith, and number three, for our freedom. It is in full, by faith, and for our freedom. Take a look with me in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to read just the first part so we get the understanding of the in full. We'll start maybe just a little bit of a headway for us, starting the last two verses of chapter 1, and we're going to read up through verse 5 for the first part. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom 
that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It is for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. They are plausible. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. He is looking for their maturity. He wants them to be able to grow. He wants them to be able to see where have you started in Jesus Christ and how can we move forward? How can we keep this moving forward? In verse two, he said, I want you to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and knowledge. You know, one of the things when we come to knowledge of Jesus Christ, right? You know, think about your moment when God saved your soul or God brought you, and if it hasn't happened to you yet, we're looking forward to the day, right? That God will bring you home to him. But think back into the moment when you felt and knew and understood with the Holy Spirit made it alive and then sometimes think three weeks or six months or maybe six years later where we're going I'm trying to remember that day and what I actually knew and why I was so confident and why sometimes because of life it can get a little fuzzy and Paul says I want you to have full assurance I want you to be able to grow up and then we're going to jump ahead. I didn't read this. And I'm going to read it now. I'm going to jump ahead because it's not perfect breaks for us. So verses 9 and 10 really kind of go heavily, at least in my thinking, with this first section, the way we structured it today. So bear with me. Verses 9 and 10. For in him, meaning Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. Now, we could spend a year just on those two verses, but we're going to take just a few minutes. So he's reminding them, and he's telling them this. He said, what, what do you know here, right? For in him, in Jesus Christ, the whole fullness of deity, everything that is God, if you could put into terminology, if you could put it into knowledge, if you could put it into words, if you could put it into a book, if you could put it into a concept, everything that is God, the entire fullness of all that is God, and there is not an inch more it is in Jesus, and it is dwelling in this person, in this bodily form of Jesus who came down from heaven incarnate. All the fullness of the deity dwells bodily. And you, if you have come to know him and received him, are filled in him who is the head and the rule of all authority. So right off the bat, he's basically just taking a big brush and just wiping away, there is nothing more, right? I think it was Louis Giglio that's saying, it is not Christ and me, it is Christ in me. So he is saying here, when you have Christ, you have all that exists in God. Because one of the issues with all religions and the religions that they were dealing with here or the starts of religions, philosophies are generally nothing more than religion. Most of them go back to a person in a place who wrote something on some Tuesday afternoon and then people decided to follow. What he's saying is all religions will lower the deity of Christ. 
they will not give him his rightful place as Lord and sovereign over the universe. So he's saying, Jesus is Lord of all, and in him you have been filled. You have what you need for all fullness. You've been filled in him. It is a reminder to us that we have all that we need. So our salvation is in full. We don't come to it as a youth, maybe, or come to it later in life, and then we need to add to it. So can the church say amen that our, that our salvation is in full in Christ? Amen? Amen. So, so we work through now. So now we're going to say, if it is in full, how did it come? Where is it kept? And what he tells us there, it is by faith. So let us read Starting, we're going to back up just a little bit in verse 5. Though I'm absent in a body, yet I'm present with you in a spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So he's talking about now your faith in Christ. I'm glad to hear about it. Now let's go and let's read the next section through verse 15. Because you have this faith in Christ, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were taught abounding in thanksgiving see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ we'll read the next two again for in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, there's our phrase again, in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands this he set aside nailing it to the cross he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him salvation is a person not a philosophy it is done It is not something that we are doing. The firmness of your faith in Christ, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. This is a verse that if you've listened to lots and lots and lots of sermons from lots of different cultures and lots of different places, made from lots of different teachers, you will see sometimes that it is a often mis-exposited verse. I've heard it many times in my life. It is a verse, you know, there's verses where you can take them out of context and you can push them in a way that is convenient. This is one of those, and it would, might go something like this. In the way that you have come to know Christ, stay that way. Yeah, that might mean stay in this church, stay in this denomination, stay, 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 right? And they'd say, okay, you can see some where they might get it from. That's not what it means. 
It's just a lighthearted there. If that really meant that way, might some, some of us might still be uh, wearing Reeboks and uh, you know, being saved exactly the same way, never using a microphone or doing anything else. Right? But what he is saying here is stay in Christ the way you came to know him. So the question is, how did we come to know him? What was Paul saying? He's taking us back to verse 5. He's saying, in faith. You came to Christ in faith. You came to him somehow, some way. I don't care what, where point you're at in your life, but you came to the end of yourself. Somewhere you realized, I cannot do this. My sin is greater than me. I have no path. The chasm is too wide. I am not good enough. My sin is now finally before me. I admit it. I cannot do it. Jesus Christ is going to pay the debt that he didn't know because I owe a debt I could not pay. And we came and said, Lord, I confess my sin. I accept you by faith that you died on the cross, that you rose again, and that you, if I stand behind you, I get to go with you. You are putting on me your righteousness. I stand holy because you are holy. I come to you, Lord, broken and by faith that you will bring me home with you to the Father. I have no rightful place but the one you have earned for me. And when we got to that place and we said, Lord, I confess that you are Lord and I am in you, we were saved. So now Paul says, therefore, because the firmness of your faith in Christ, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in that faith, just as you were taught, You were not taught anything else other than it is in Jesus Christ alone. He has met the legal demands. We are able to die with him. We are now circumcised in the heart, not by flesh. We have put aside the law that taught us that we were never going to make it. The law was there as a teacher, and we failed miserably. The only way we had is by faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and so he says this is the way we need to walk everything everyone else is trying to teach you Christ and Christ and this and religion and do more do he goes no you need to walk if you want to attain maturity in the way you came to him the way you came to him is the only way to stay it is the only path forward it is a path of a life of brokenness in faith of Jesus Christ It's actually the easier way. But some unbelievable system of life that we have makes it feel like the hard way and we go with the other one. The desire to earn, the desire to prove some things. And it's a string, you know, like a string that's on a sweater that's broken out there, right? The one you can't help but keep pulling. You know better, don't pull that string. It will not work. And what do we tend to do? You sit there with your hands a little bit holding, and then you kind of pull. Maybe this one time, if I pull that string, it's all going to work out well. It has never, ever in the history of man worked out well to pull that string, right? We just need to cut that. We need to know what we know, that it is in Jesus Christ. And we don't add. We need to read Scripture together because Scripture upon Scripture is our friend. Scripture upon Scripture is our friend. So I wrote them down for us. If you feel like writing them down, great. The one that is used all the time as rightfully so, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, that any one of us should ever boast or think that we had a contributing factor. 
Ephesians 2.89. Grace through faith is how you came to know him. Paul writing to the church of Rome, he starts right out in chapter 1, verse 17. The righteous, they shall live. Remember right here, alive in Christ, that we are made alive, we are alive. The righteous shall live by faith. It's a good group here today. You guys know your verses. I like I hear some of them saying them. Galatians. If you want to read a book that tells you about the faith, that faith is it, you want to read one whole book that maybe hits this whole theme, Galatians is that book. Colossians is hitting it here in the pocket. Galatians 2.16, we could have saw many verses in Galatians. Yet we know that a person is not justified by works. We know this. Not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So how is someone justified? When you say, hey, I'm justified, the natural thing on our tongues will be because I did this, 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 and this. Therefore, therefore, you can't hold me. It was them. But what he tells us it is, you are justified because nothing else other than by faith in Jesus Christ. That is the only reason we stand just. So he hit us and he reminded us this and he says, walk this way. Don't change it. Don't add to it. There is nothing more. Faith is initially and eternally the only way to salvation. And he brings us home a little bit as he hits verses 12 and 13, and let's just unpack them for a second. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him, raised with him, again, this whole idea of death and coming alive through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him. He is giving us a powerful truth to hang on to, that we are not left in ourselves. The faith that we place is a living faith. It is one that literally took what was dead, buried it as a symbol of our death, the old life, the old patterns of thinking, that he has now given us not only a faith, he has given us the power of that faith, and we have been made alive so that we as new beings can actually have a chance to live out our faith. A faith with no power to live is bad news. A faith that says, I rest in that faith, and the Holy Spirit will help me to rest in that faith. And the works that I do, I do it because of the faith and because of what he has put in me. May be an evidence of my faith. They are not creating it. So we say amen. We have it, our salvation in full. We have arrived at it by faith. We maintain it and live in it the same way, by faith. And what's it for? It is for our freedom. It is for our freedom. I think that when we say that, you know, some of us, you know, might have been tracking with point number one and point number two, and we start getting into this freedom in Christ, start getting in this area in church at times, sometimes we get a little squirrely. You know, you know, like a little freedom is good, but too much freedom is bad. We'll see how far he goes, whether we agree or disagree. You know, this, this could get a little dicey here when we start talking about freedom in Christ. You know, we, we tend to want to maybe just constrain things, just, just hold it in. We have a hard time grasping you know, that this is for our freedom, that God loves us and that he's done this for us. He has. 
let's just think for a minute. You know, we won't take time to read it, but if you look into Genesis chapter one, you're gonna see God has Adam and Eve and he put them together and he gave them basically an entire list of things to do of exactly how they're supposed to live life, not supposed to change one thing from what he told them. And those of you that are Bible scholars, which many of you are, know when you're looking at me like, I'm pretty sure that's not what it says in Genesis one. And you're right, it does not. You read Genesis one and go back and read it with this lens. He basically says, all right, Adam and Eve, here you go. Here's the entire world. Do whatever you want. I got a couple things. You know, fill it up. You know, make, make, make more people. You know, fill it up. Enjoy yourself. There's animals. Name them whatever you want. Whatever you name them, that's what they will be. Whatever you name that plant, that's what it's going to be. Live however you want. Get up when you want. Do what you want. Just don't touch that one tree. He basically said, here's your blueprint. You are free. You are free, you are free, you are free. You are free in me. You have relationship with me. You have this entire world. It was built for you. It was built in relationship with me for you to express yourself. The image of God on humanity. Enjoy it, live it, name it, subdue it. Have children, have grandchildren. Go, 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 enjoy it. Enjoy that fruit, enjoy that drink. What is... Much of the world's religions say, now, don't do that. Don't do this. Don't touch that. Become a recluse from this world. You want to be a holy man or a holy woman? You have to go live in a mountain away somewhere because the world will damage you. How many will say no marriage if you want to be a minister of the gospel? God's word doesn't say that. Many will say no blood transfusion. Some will say you can't eat a certain food or drink. Some will say you can only worship properly on a Saturday. I've only listed ones that have millions and millions and millions and millions of followers. These are the points I mentioned here are in the top 20 religions of the world. And many of them have a Christian bent. And, but God didn't save us to that don't, that can't, can't, don't. That's not in his word. Read it through. He saved us to live in the freedom of him, to live in his reality. But you know what? When we are saved in him, it is our natural tendency, we've talked about it, I think we can see evidence by it if we think it through, to go back. Think about Exodus. Exodus chapter 16, you're gonna have the Israelites. They were generationally enslaved by the Egyptians generation after generation after generation and after miraculous events miracle upon miracle by Moses coming through the Red Sea coming through every plague all kinds of stuff stuff that's literally telling stories about and making plays about making movies about they are saved and they are brought out and immediately almost in Exodus 16 you'll hear the phrase and they'll say Why did you bring us here? It'd been better if we were captive back there because at least we had a good pot of meat and some really, really, really good bread. Their hearts were looking to go back to their captivity because they at least had a system and they knew they had some meat and some good bread. What does that tell you about our hearts? Do not put that just on them. That is me, and it is most likely you too. 
that in our freedom, so what happened? The freedom scared them. The freedom, we didn't know where our next meal was coming from. Back in Egypt, we at least had a little bit saved of the bread, and we had the bread for tomorrow. And we knew if we worked hard and we were beaten and we were taking away all our liberties and everything else, at least we could live and at least we could sing a song and enjoy our children at 9 o'clock at night. We often will trade our freedom for some little slice of something. And it is what's the string that Satan pulls. We go back to it. One of the saddest, saddest stories. My sister happens to work for uh, Rahab Ministries. My sister Nelda uh, Draco, some of you know her. When she shared this with me, I didn't understand it at all. And I thought it through and then we understood it. And if you, it's a deep thought and there's a deep reason. And this is in no way demeaning on the person at all. I'm talking about the things that happen in us, the way we naturally think. Even the protections that our minds create psychologically to pull us out of things. Some of these women that have been in sex trafficking and pulled in and dominated and captive and held basically in slavery, some, when they get out and they are actually free, literally in the middle of the night will devise creative ways to break out, to run away, go through danger to make it back to their captives. If you want to unpack where our hearts are really at and what really happens to us, thinking that through will do that to you. We, by nature, will run back. Sometimes we'll even find comfort in the falseness that is holding us back and constraining us for a free life in Christ. Whether it's fear, whether it's anxiety, whether it's a system we've come to know, and therefore consistency becomes our friend, all of these things, and many of them, all of those pieces, you know, right? Consistency, a lot of good inconsistency, you know, but when it overwhelms us, it can take us away. And it can hurt us and take us away. What does verse 23 tell us? It's almost like Paul is bringing together all the sense of reality here. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity of the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So let's read the whole thing so we can just really feel it, starting in verse 16, for our freedom. Therefore, because you know all this before, you know that it's in Christ and it is fully in him, you've walking it by faith. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regards to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance, the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worshiping of angels, kind of the mystical side of it, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body, nursed and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of this world, the stuff we've been talking about, those type of spirits and thoughts, why, if and why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Things like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, 
referring to all things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and human teachings. These indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They have no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What it is saying there is you can put as many constraints on you as you want. The heart is deceptively wicked. You know, speaking for some men and why some people, some men go way, way, way far away and they put themselves between 18 bricks of mortar and 3,000 miles so they can't have an issue with a woman. I can assure you they can have an issue with a woman right back there 3,000 miles away right in their own mind and they do. These things are of no value. We will never, never, never be able to obtain holiness or righteousness outside in. It will only be from the inside out, right? When Christ changes our heart, when Christ by faith redeems us and brings us home. But I love the way he says it here. These ears have indeed an appearance of wisdom, it seems kind of true if we cut things off and stop this and don't do that. Da, 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 da. Somehow we are more religious. Somehow we are more holy. The only holiness we have is if we say, Lord, it is you and it is in you only. And that, so now, right, so we're saved from. So here's say, what are we saved from? So our freedom is from our history, our freedom from our past, our freedom from our slavery. In our natural state, we really don't have any freedom. The freedom of humanity, the freedom that when we want to say if Nietzsche and others are right and they wanted to ever throw off and the new atheists would say, we want to throw off God, we want to live in our own freedom. We'd say, you better never get what you asked for because you get what you asked for, you're going to be living Lord of the Flies. And if you haven't read that book yet in school, you'll get to it. You will be living Lord of the Flies. You will have a disaster on your hands. Your freedom will always lead you to pain. It will lead you to selfishness and pain and chaos and sin of which you know the order of man, World War I, World War II, is only a sliver because that is contained under the common grace of God, under the salt of his light, the salt of this earth, the salt of his spirit still being here. Remove God and you get hell. Remove God and you get hell. Man in his freedom is by definition hell. So we are saved from our old, but we thought we had our freedom, but we really didn't. We were enslaved by our nature. We were slaves to sin. We were slaves to our passion. So the freedom God gave us is first, right? To save us from ourselves, to bring us out of enslavement and to make us free creatures in him, in Christ. And the second part of it, and the part that maybe I wanna pack just a bit more than today is that we are freedom to do. So when the freedom from, that includes freedom from guilt freedom from our past it does not live with us whatever was is forgiven it is nailed to the cross it is removed from us no one can accuse us again the accuser cannot accuse us we stand righteous we stand holy our past is our past and we are done church amen amen right so now we move forward but we're not just saved from we are saved to what are we going to live when he told Adam and Eve, go to this entire world, enjoy it, Put, you have the image of God on you, embrace it, name the animals, have children, enjoy that food, live it out. What he is going to tell you and I today is that our freedom is to be ourselves. You were not made with your gifts, talents, abilities, height, 
etc., location, everything that you are is an amazing miracle. There's no one else in the world like you. And you have been built out not to applaud others, not to do this or to do that, or not to, it is to live out the miracle that it is your life. The gifts that you have, sometimes you might think less compared to others. They're not. You are an amazing person built with the freedom to express that. Do not try to change your personality. Oh, there's pieces of all of us that we need to chip away at, right? But the core of who we are, that's why God made you that way. If you're a fast starter, start stuff. If you're a good finisher, take the baton and finish it. If you're an artist, right? If you're doing stuff, if you're a teacher, if you're a writer, if you're a photographer, whatever you are, do it. Do it, do it as if God Almighty inspired you with the gifts and the talents to do it because he did don't hold ourselves back don't give yourself the reason to say i can't i can't i won't i don't i can't think we get afraid of freedom we get afraid of failure we get afraid of things what if i'm not good enough you are good enough i can assure you that god made you special and unique you do not need to be anybody else you just need to be yourself We need to honor and express him. The only way we honor and express him is by expressing what he put in us, ourselves out. You want some verses? Because I said, you know, verses are our friend. John 8, 36. We're going to read three of them quickly. John 8, 36. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. 2 Corinthians 3, 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, can anyone finish it for me? There is freedom. I saw a couple miles moving. Galatians 5.1, for freedom, for freedom's sake, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. I've been fortunate in the last maybe three, four months. I met a young man. He's become a new friend. Uh, Met him at a conference. He lives in a large city. He is a Uh, common day searcher he's an intelligent man and he is what I would call an honest skeptic so even though we live in different cities and only met each other recently we are now having a monthly call where we are basically it's a skeptic call you you get to throw every accusation you want at Christianity and uh, by God's grace I will do my best to respond and what we have come in through only in about four or five uh, calls is that this individual will tell you that he grew up basically in a Christian version home, and he's well into his 30s, so he's lived life fully and all around the world, traveled the world, and his exact technical understanding of Christianity is judgment, self-righteousness, guilt, effort that cannot be matched, boom, 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 boom. And he's like, what do you think of that? I said, amen. (laughs) I said, that's what happens in life. I said, but let me tell you what the Bible says. And we basically went through what we talked about today. And his exact words were, I have never, ever heard anything like that. And I've been around this my whole life. So what the unbelieving world finds unbelievable is Christians acting like unbelievers. Constrained broken, self-righteous, trying to do, do, do. If you're going to do that, then any path will do, right? When, pe- when the world is saying, why can't any path lead to God? What they're basically saying, if you want to work your way there, 
Why can't any path work? And I will say, if you want to work your way there, every path will work. They are all the same. I don't care what you call it. They're like, huh, that sounds like, you know, some kind of ecumenical. But if you say the other way, that he came to do for us what we could never do, and that we have it in full by faith and for our freedom, then I say there is only one unique way, and it is Christ. And we only call it Christianity because we follow Christ in him. Let's pray together. Father God, we come to you because we understand that we struggle with this. We understand that we want to earn our own way, that we want to prove that we are strivers and that we are getting there. Lord, we ask you to remind us that the only way we ever came to know you was by your grace. They imputed and opened our eyes to see that we were broken, we were fallen, that our sin was ever before us, but that by your death and resurrection, your finished work on the cross, we could claim knowledge of you as a person, the person that would fill us, live in us, walk before us. So Lord, today we ask that you will renew in our hearts and minds the way of thinking that is your way that we will rest in you, that we can be alive in you, that the world can see peace in us. They can see freedom from sin and freedom to live because we have been made alive in Christ. You have come, Lord, that we might live life and that we might live it abundantly. We ask, Lord, not for our sake, but for your glory and your sake, that we live a life that other people will say, tell me about Christ if that is his life. Lord, we know we can't do it, but we know that you will perform the work in us that you have begun. And in your name, the church says, amen.